everyone. This is a quick follow-up episode following on from last week when I single-handedly took down the Australia Council. I followed up with David Latham, who's currently working on a campaign called Fund the Arts. Fund the Arts were behind the panel that I mentioned last week with the author Emily Bitto, along with the Australian Book Review's editor Peter Rose and the literary agent Claire Forster were talking about whether the Australian arts sector can actually survive another round of funding cuts. So David describes himself as the behind-the-scenes guy for Fund the Arts. His focus is on running a campaign in marginal seats to make arts funding the political issue that it has not been for many, many years now. He wants it to be on every candidate's agenda. And that really interested me as an idea because I'm sceptical about whether you can talk about arts funding and remain non-partisan. So I pushed him on that. I asked him about whether this campaign is really non-partisan and also tried to probe a little bit something that the campaign seems to be interested in, which is this idea of what an Australian story is. So as you can tell, I don't necessarily agree with David on everything, but I do think that this is a really good conversation to be having at all. Because as is completely obvious when David starts laying out the statistics here, it's not a pretty picture right now. And while I'm not personally going for arts funding and haven't for a number of years, I know that many, many poets do. And I know that poets are at the very bottom of the pecking order when it comes to actually getting awarded that funding. David talks about there having been a golden age of Australian culture, and he talks about the fact that we could have that again if we were able to address this bottleneck of funding. The interesting thing for me is that I think we actually have that, at least when it comes to poetry. Last week, I was talking about Bonnie Cassidy's article in The Conversation, where she described poetry's weird blooms persisting, despite the fact that there's just no money anywhere. And when I think about The books that have come out over the last five years, books that have really shifted the conversation, books that you can no longer write without thinking about, that's all happened with, again, just just no money to speak of. And I suppose if we're really honest, what we're saying is people are volunteering, people are taking time away from paid employment to do that, People are taking time away from their leisure time to do that. But despite all those constraints, we still have this body of work that is just very impressive, I think. I'm trying not to use the phrase punching above our weight. I think that's weird framing, but it's there. (laughs) The question that all that leaves me with is, I wonder what else could bloom if we weren't all fighting for a share of the same five million bucks. So I'm pretty far outside my comfort zone, as I said last week. If you want to know more about Fund the Arts, they are Fund the Arts on Twitter and Instagram. I will link to their website as well. You can see who supports them. It includes writers, theatre makers, musicians. It's a whole movement of people trying to get this on the agenda. And as I said last week, if you have thoughts on this, strongly agree, strongly disagree, feel free to get in touch 
at poetrysayspod at gmail.com or poetry underscore says on Twitter. I am off to Sydney this coming week and hoping to speak to a couple of poets while I'm up there. But if you're around and you want to say hi, feel free to get in touch. But for now, to round out this whole conversation on money and politics and all this stuff that I never really want to talk about, but here it is anyway, here is David Latham from Fund the Arts. Fund the Arts has uh, been germination for quite some period of time. I tried to get this going uh, maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago actually, but uh, recognising the state of the arts, that was even pre-COVID, was pretty parlous and, uh, you know, always seemed to go to, you know, the budget or turn up at the election and get defeated. And I just, as someone who works in PR and has lobbied and who likes the arts, I just thought it doesn't need to be that way. And, you know, so I looked, looked around for people who might uh, help with the campaign. And one of the really critical people early on was uh, Ben Eltham. So he's an academic arts and media academic at Monash and a policy advisor in the arts. And I saw his creativity in crisis report and that kind of reinvigorated my passion to, to kind of run something and spoke to him. We were very much simpatico in terms of, you know, something needing, needing to be done on the issue. And uh, so those skills kind of came together, my kind of PR and lobbying and, and his kind of arts background. Yeah. And so my understanding of your goal is that you want to put arts funding, you want to make it an election issue mm. and you want to make it an issue that candidates across all political parties care about and are interested mm. in and are talking about. Yeah. That seems really interesting to me because you have to operate in this supposedly nonpartisan way. Yeah. Is it really nonpartisan though? Well, I mean, look, there are people who, let me just say this firstly, like strategically, if you go about a campaign and you um, are very partisan, then, well, firstly, one side, one half of politics kind of ignores you, right? And they think, okay, this is just a hostile campaign, which is trying to beat me up. But the other half uh, takes you for granted. So it's just, it's not a good position to be in just to, you know, um, throw your love behind one candidate. It's around the issue, like what, what is your policy? So if you look back at the last election, the Liberal Party had no arts policy and Labor had a nominal one, right? So it's a case of in the you know the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? So that's not the position you want to be in. So you want to have a, you know, like you want to have a horse in every race, but you want to have as many horses in as many races as you can, as you can get. Um, but, you know, like I was starting to say, Trent Zimmerman, for example, has been a, a you know, a big behind the scenes supporter of, of the arts, um, has that translated, I guess, uh, you know, into policy um, decisions that would benefit the arts? Well, no, you know, I mean, it's as the Creativity in Crisis report, you know, um, pointed out, 19% cut uh, in per capita investment, 18.9% uh, um, Throsby, David Throsby pointed out, um, drop in artist income. We've had a 19% budget cut in this last budget. We've had 783 million stripped out of the ABC budgets, 2% Australian uh, content, film and TV content on streaming services, kids TV budgets halved, um, the National Archives having to crowdfund to save our you know, cultural legacy from literally crumbling to dust. So that's the kind of situation we're in, which is kind of real 
banana republic stuff and we just think that's ridiculous for the 12th wealthiest nation in the world and we know that other people around the globe are doing great things to support you know germany spent 50 billion euros to support the art sector there we know in in canada france and italy that they've got 20 percent content quotas local content quotas on on netflix for example and we know recently that ireland introduced um, a living wage income for 2,000 of their best artists and we'd like to you know introduce similar things here so mm. it's not pie in the sky stuff right and it doesn't need to be um, partisan uh, but look we, we want we're campaigning marginal seats because we want to put politicians feet to the fire right we want a bidding war we want people to kind of you know put their best foot forward when it comes to arts funding because arts hasn't been an election focus for 25 years like Paul Keating was the last person who you know, trotted out a bunch of Hugo Weaving in a, you know, glitterati um, stable of, of Australian talent. But, you know, we, we haven't seen anything since then. And, you know, if you don't put it forward as an election issue, it's never going to happen. So these issues, you know, are important. We know that Australians care about Australian voices on TV. We know they kind of care uh, about, um, you know, Australian voice. And that's really important to them and just the cultural legacy. So... Um, so, you know, we're, we're putting it forward. It's a kind of bright, optimistic vision. So that's how, that's how we're pitching it. You know, there's 408,000 people in the creative sector in Australia, right? So who is the champion in Canberra for this group? You want to be part of the international discussion on culture, you know? We don't just want to absorb whatever castaway kind of culture we get from, you know, probably America primarily, but, you know, other English-speaking nations. We've got stories to tell and you can think of all the great films like whether it's Gallipoli, Priscilla, Rabbit Proof Fence, The Castle, whatever you like, Bliss. There's some great movies and, and books as well. Rand, I've got some Randolph Stowe over there and, and you know, Patrick White. And, and you know, we, we did have a golden age of Australian culture, be that, you know, uh, books, music and film and TV. And I think we can do that again. And, and think about the iconic images, you know, whether it's Ned Kelly or um, you know, Heidelberg School, Merkamora, you know, all that stuff is, you know, quintessentially Australian. Only we can produce that stuff. Mm. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you on some of that because I think I'm exactly the kind of voter that you're trying to reach. Yep. I'm fairly disengaged and apathetic. I don't mm. really believe that switching from Liberal to Labor is going to have a... Uh, recognizable impact on arts funding and as a poet I've basically given up hope on having mm. any money coming from my creativity that's kind of why I like it in a weird way but one of the things that that when I look at this stuff worries me and I think might worry others is that that definition of the of the Australian voice mm. um, and the Australian story because in being cross-party a Liberal voter in Turak's idea of what an Australian story is is very different mm. from a Greens voter in Northcote. Yeah. How do you make sure that it doesn't all sound like, I mean, we mm. all love Priscilla, mm. <laughs> but there's more, yeah. there's more going on. Yeah. Particularly in poetry right now, there's, there's mm. an incredible wave of First, First Nations poetry that's coming through. Um, but I worry that to truly be cross-partisan, you have to ignore some of that or sidestep some of the mm. diversity. Am I making sense? Is that? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. And look, I think the thing that you, you definitely can say is as soon as the kind of funding pool shrinks, 
then risk-taking um, shrinks. And that happens in literature. So we had an event in uh, Josh Frydenberg's seat of Kuyong at readings on uh, the question of can Australian literature survive? And we had Emily Bito and we had Claire Forster, who's a, a literary agent, um, talking about that as well as uh, Peter Rose from the Australian Book Review. And, and what happens is it, the pool is so small, like the amount of funding through the Australia Council for Literature, and, you know, as a subset of that, poetry would be one of those those disciplines um, it is less than it was three decades ago like there was just has been in the last budget a 40% cut so it's gone from 8.9 million to around 5.2 someone said it might have been 4.9 but around there so it's it's significant a significant cut but the less money you have the less capacity for risk uh, you know pub- publisher will take with a piece of work it's like let's go with a formula that works. And that just is the same thing when it comes to film as well. So the ABC I mentioned earlier had been gutted and uh, and they produced three shows a year. It's hard to get diverse. And we had a question, we had a panel event on uh, film and TV um, at, in Goldstein. And uh, someone asked in the audience about diversity, but it's very hard to get, di- and Sue Maslin, who did the producer and Road to Nil and Japanese Story, said it's very hard to get diversity. <laughs> into the landscape when you can only fund three things a year. So it's about like this diminishing pool and this game of musical chairs where, you know, you run around and a chair's pulled away each time the music stops, like every budget or, you know, election cycle. And then there's just less resources and and that leads to, you know, staid products and less risk taking. So besides creative fellowships, um, you know, to support individual artists and besides the Australian Council funding more of that stuff, the Australian government actually can work and there was a cultural export plan, which they haven't put into, you know, it's just inert, it's not functioning, but is there really to promote Australian um, books or film, whatever it happens to be, overseas? So for example, a translation service, you know, there's very little money for translating Australian work and people stop asking about it because they just know it's not available. But if you if you are really putting your shoulder to the wheel, um, then you can find these export markets. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, let the market sort it out. If the poetry is good, it'll sell. But you have to put it in front of people. You have to have the mechanism to distribute it. So America has no problem distributing through Netflix, for example, or the old cinema system, their product, right? And then it gets in front of people and you consume it or it's on, on your screen and you, you know, the algorithms push it forward and, and you do it. But if, if, you, if no one knows about it, if, it's not helping, if no one's helping to promote that actively, then of course you don't have that mechanism to, to make you know, people, to help people be more successful. So it's a question of volume. It's a question of creating a scenario where you can take those risks but what would you say to somebody who just took that line of it's just not good enough, the product's not good enough, the, the movies are boring, the poetry is uh, not, not speaking to people, there's better books that I can buy off mm-hmm. Amazon. I mean, what would you say to people who just would say this is throwing good money after bad? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, obviously at some level the product does have to be good, right? But it's more like creating, um, I guess, a conveyor belt, you know, like a, a charting a course so that, you know, for people who do have talent, that they're able to kind of go to the next level and to get uh, funding grants. So so we're saying at Fund the Arts, and this is a, a, a kind of an old idea, but we'd like to have 300 um, 
I mean, maybe it could be expanded even more, but for 300 people, $85,000 a year, um, 300 artists are, are chosen, they get three year cycles so they can really hone their craft, they're not in the salt mines. Um, as you know, Emily Bido, the author, pointed out, well, you know, after having written her successful you know, um, debut novel, The Strays, then was having to work crazy hours at her um, bar that she co-owns to, to get the next story done. And she just did Australia Council um, assessments of the next wave of talent. There's so much there, she said, but you know, it's just like you could only pick out nine. So, so when the pool is small, you know, it's not a question of talent. It's just like there's no money. To, to support and fund that. And I think, you know, I think that's reasonable to say if, if there's the talent's not great or the, the, the stuff's not there, well, you know, you can refine it. But I think there's, there's not really an argument to say that we don't have the talent there. It's just like it is just bottlenecked by the tiny amount of funding. And it just means people who have talent, um, you know, drift away. It's just, it's not, it's it becomes like a, a fantasy. But, you know, America's, such you know as a nation the scale of america is so vast that you know someone can make a living there but you know we need to to you know really get serious uh as a society and government to support australia to introduce them overseas but also just to support them here like the, the stuff would be popular um if it was you know more financially viable for people to do that through creative fellowships or you know change to lending rights practices and and uh, promotion of, of that by government overseas and, and so on. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah. You've won me over. Yeah. <laughs>